helps. Um, but thanks for coming. Um, I've been, this conference is very near and dear to me. I've been coming for 20 years now. 2002 is my first time. I was a student at Taylor University. And I remember hearing David Thompson give the message, the doctor must die, and just turned my world upside down. Uh, I was on a cassette tape um, back then. And uh, a year later, I was contemplating medicine, and a year later came back and I met Bob Meyer, uh, gave a lecture here, uh, portable dentistry in a steer environment, and within three days of that, I had my application submitted for dental school, and here I am, nothing against you medical people, I'm kind of glad I'm not, I didn't go that path, um, but I have a lot of respect for you guys and what you do, and a lot wider spectrum of uh, knowledge that's needed for that. Um, yeah, I uh, just a little background about me. Um, my wife's here. We met at this conference in 2011, um, and um, been uh, you know went to dental school in Southern Illinois. I went into the Army. I did a one-year AGD uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia, and then uh, spent a year in Afghanistan as an infantry brigade dentist, and that kind of influences some of my experience. Uh, some of even what maybe you hear today, um, you know, when you're the only show in town, that 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 changes the way you do things. And um, so anyway, um, you know, talking a lot, this, you know, most places in the world that don't have access to the gospel also don't have access to dental care. And so if we can leverage dentistry uh, for that purpose, uh, that's, that's really what we want to be about. So I'm going to say a word of prayer here and let's, let's open up. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for today and I just thank you for everyone here. Just pray that uh, you would just be with us and be honored with what's done and said here. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. So, a lot of what I, I mean, I have, I have never lived overseas long term. I've traveled, uh, been doing dental training with, uh, first with Empower Approach, started in 2011, and then been with, been with iTech for about six and a half years now. Uh, but so, a lot of what I'm sharing is probably more from my experiences in the United States working as a dentist in public health and just seeing most of my patients who've already been to the emergency room and seeing the, the things they, the, the care or the lack of care and the things they get told. And so um, we're going to go over just, this is an outline of what my goals are for today. And, um, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time about uh, tooth, tooth anatomy, tooth numbering, not, not a lot. And we're just going to talk about probably, you know, probably the middle core is where we're going to spend our time about just, um, you know, etiology and the progression of, of, of typically mostly caries here and then how to diagnose and just a lot of myths. There's just a lot of heresy. Um, and sadly, just, I, I mean, it's, it's the same problem on the theological side. Um, if you heard the interview with uh, the CMDA, Alan Harmer and um, Michael McLaughlin, they talked about the biblical literacy of the culture, and I really see that in the profession as well. Just some of the stuff that people still believe and still adhere to in 2022, it's kind of frightening. Okay, and so today we're just going to try to cut through some of that. So, um, you know, this is the system we use in the United States, 1 through 32. If you are not a dental professional, I would probably not recommend that you, you know, people want to start in the back and count 1 to 32. That's not a good idea. Um, teeth can be missing. Uh, so if you're not a dental professional, uh, I would probably not recommend that you focus on this system. Okay. Uh, I'm going to focus on the international system, especially if you're working overseas. This is also just a much easier system to learn. Um, so the quadrants are one through four. You start in the patient's upper right. Did that go out? I'm sorry. What? Uh, okay, there we go. I better, better keep this moving, huh? Um, you start in the patient's upper right, and you go, hmm. I don't know. It's, is it the connection here? Okay. You're going to start in the patient's upper right and you're going to go clockwise. <clears throat> okay, so these quadrants are numbered one through four. And the nice thing about this system is every type of tooth has the same number. Okay, so you look at your incisors are ones and twos, your canines are threes, your premolars are fours and fives, and your molars are six, seven, or eight. Okay, and this is a very simple system, and this is typically what we teach when we're teaching people overseas. So as you can see here, um, I always tell the patients, find the canine because it's the only one in the quadrant, it's the least likely to be missing, and it's most easy to identify. It has one cusp. We say the mountains. Find the mountains, okay? So the canine has one cusp. That's where you want to start. If it's in front of a canine, it's an incisor. If it's behind it, it's a premolar or a molar, okay? So all this will be – did anybody download the slideshow? 
Okay, good, because I, okay, maybe a few people did. I, I made a few edits, so this will be available to you. My email address will be at the end. You don't have to write anything down. I will, I will send this to you. Just email me. My email address will be at the end. So, not going to spend a lot of time here, but the surfaces, okay, um, palatal, we usually say on the upper, probably a more universal term on the inside would be lingual. Um, you know, on the, the facial or the buckle, you know, those are kind of interchangeable. Facial maybe more, uh, interchangeable just, just, on the, on the cheek side of the tooth, okay? Dis, mesial is toward the midline, obviously, okay? Uh, distal is away from the midline. And so just how you identify teeth. Well, the, the incisor looks like a slotted screwdriver, okay? It's just got a straight edge, okay? And it should be in the front, as we said, okay? And so we're not, you know, just, just knowing how to identify teeth, okay? We talked about the canine. This is the tooth that you, you're typically going to use as your guideline if you're unsure, you know, find the canine. One cusp, you know, very prominent tooth, usually not lost. It's got a long root. It's usually the last likely tooth you're going to see missing. Okay, so premolars, they have two cusps, okay? And, you know, this is, you know, between the molars and the canines, okay? And so when we say a first premolar, that's the one that's closest to the midline. The second premolar is away from the midline. Same thing with the molars. You have number six is a first molar, seven's a, a second molar, and a, and a and an eight is a is a wisdom tooth, a third molar. You can, and you can see this, just kind of a map here of teeth getting replaced, permanent teeth getting replaced by baby teeth. Okay, and just kind of see, you know, the roots typically are resorbed. Sorry, did I say that backwards? Okay, sorry. Baby teeth getting replaced by permanent teeth. Somebody's listening here. Sorry. Keep, keep me straight on here. Okay, so this is the system we use in the U.S., uh, A through T. Again, I would probably recommend you use the international system just a little bit easier. In this case, you start in 5, 6, 7, 8. The deciduous teeth, you know, 1 through 20, are numbered starting 5, 6, 7, 8. When actually we teach, we don't even teach this. We teach kind of a modified, we teach the... Uh, the adult tooth with just an, an M for milk tooth or D for deciduous tooth. That's a lot of places called milk teeth. And so just to simplify it, students don't have to learn a separate system. And so the you don't see any premolars here in the baby dentition. They they get replaced by the the uh, the baby molars get replaced by the adult premolars. But again, this, the number on the right is the position. Okay, but you can't always number teeth by the position. Sometimes the crown is gone. It's hard to identify the tooth. Teeth are missing. Teeth drift, drift. And so just important to know what the teeth should like, should look like. So eruption times, you do not need to memorize this, but this is a good reference. Okay, so probably the big numbers are the, the intervals of three. So, you know, at three years old, we should have all of our baby teeth typically. Six years old, starting to see permanent teeth. Come in, and then by 12 should have all your permanent teeth and no more baby teeth, okay? And so, you know, typically wisdom teeth around 18, give or take, that's, that's pretty variable. So some of this will be hopefully familiar to you. Obviously, enamel, outer, outer source of the tooth, uh, unless it's decayed, it's the hardest substance in the body. It's not connected to nerve tissue. We'll talk more about that in the, the decay progression. Uh, anytime the decay is just in the enamel, there shouldn't be any pain, any sensitivity, Okay, dentin um, has kind of a yellow color that's underneath the enamel that is connected to the nerve tissue. And once the decay is into the dentin, you can have sensitivity. Okay, once the pulp, that's where the, the nerve supply and the blood supply to the tooth reside. And so we'll talk more about this in the, in the caries progression. So the crown, that's the part of the tooth that you can see. Now, sometimes if there's uh, bone loss and recession, then you can see part of the root as well. And then when there's root recession, then there can be sensitivity from that, once that um, once that root portion is exposed, it's not it's just cementum. There's no enamel on the root, and it can be sensitive to cold or to sweet. Okay, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about trauma because it's just not that common. Uh, even I spent a year in Afghanistan working with an infantry brigade. I really didn't see much trauma even during that year. I will highlight a few things. Um, if you want, I can send you the uh, the AAE, the American Association of Endodontists. They have a a guideline, it's a big algorithm, it's very complicated, there's all these different clinical situations, that's why it's really not worth going into all that. If you want it, I'll send it to you, it's a, it's a reference. Um, I'm going to talk in the next slide about the Ellis classification. I'm always impressed that the physicians, dentists don't use this system, but all the physicians, I, I, they usually know this, and they start, and I'm impressed that they remember this, but I, most dentists don't use this. Okay, and so if you have an avulsion, the tooth comes completely out, you need to get that tooth back in as soon as possible, okay? Okay. Um, and, you know, 
you, you really need, the longer that tooth is out of the mouth, the less likely that tooth will survive if you re, re-implant the tooth. So we'll talk more about that. Okay, so these are the Ellis classifications. Um, you know, if it's just an enamel, an Ellis class 1 on the left, there's, this is not an emergency. Really, nothing needs to be done on your end. Okay, this tooth maybe needs to be smoothed off, but that's not an emergency. Okay, Ellis class 2, not an emergency. Okay, that might be sensitive to air or to sweet. If they suck in cold air and it hurts, okay, that's not an emergency. Okay, um, you know, they, they can get that, you know, they need to go somewhere else and get that treated. If it's into the pulp, then it's a different story. Okay, so Ellis class 3, the pulp is exposed. And typically, trauma is happening to the front teeth. Typically, we're trying to keep those teeth, so obviously, if there's access to root canal therapy, that's where you want to send the patient. I'm going to talk a little bit. We've got a hygienist here. Maybe we should let her come up and teach this. But Okay, periodontalities. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Typically, people don't show up in an emergency setting for periodontal disease. Okay, Maybe sometimes if they've got you know, what we used to call ANUG, but you know, the top picture there shows you, you know, normal, healthy gum tissue is pink, shouldn't bleed. Um, you know, when you, when you brush or you floss, um, if that plaque accumulates, that plaque's just full of bacteria, and then you can have the gums that are, they're irritated. All that bacteria in the plaque is irritating the gum tissue. It's red. This is, you know, the patient's going to, if they, their gums bleed easily, um, or they bleed when you probe them, that's usually an indication of an inflammation, and that's from the plaque. You get rid of the plaque, you give it two weeks, the gum tissue will go back to normal. Nice thing at this stage, everything's reversible. Okay, in the bottom, once we have periodontal disease, we're starting to lose bone. And so what's happening, if the plaque uh, sits on the teeth long enough, it, it absorbs the ions uh, from the saliva and then it hardens. And then it's got this hardened bacteria, and that's, and that's what's contributing to the bone loss, causing inflammation of the bone, and you're losing bone that supports the teeth. This is a long, slow process. Nobody usually knows about this. They're not complaining about this. It's not typically painful. Um, so don't usually see somebody showing up in an emergency setting because of periodontal disease, okay? So just, just again, you know, to spend a little more time clarifying, you know, the whole decay process and how that works, okay? Um, everybody wants to blame their ancestors, okay? <laughs> I have soft teeth. I've, I've, it's like, you know, there are some very rare uh, disorders like amylogenesis imperfecta, but you know, decay is environmental. It's not genetic. Okay, periodontal disease has some genetic component to it, but don't let somebody tell you they have soft teeth and soft enamel. Okay, usually they have their 44-ounce uh, gas station soda when they're telling you this. You know, and then, and then the, the, if the parent's there, they say, well, I had bad teeth too. They open their mouth, and you're like, oh, yeah. And um, so, again, just be careful. Also, just be careful what you tell patients because, you know, I've, I've heard patients that have really latched on to some, was something their physician told them that when their mother was pregnant that, you know, I just hear all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? So, you know, it's the saying, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Well, decay doesn't either, okay? It's, it's you, you are responsible. This, you know, your grandparents didn't leave all that plaque on your teeth, okay? So, um, you know, again, we have to cut through the lies they have believed. If we're going to see... This is, this is a spiritual analogy here. Somebody believes this lie about what's causing this, if they think it's genetic, and they don't, then they don't have to take any ownership of this. Okay? And so, you know, the, the correlation, um, you know, sometimes when I travel overseas, I actually see less, to, if they have less access to sugar, they might, they usually are going to have less access to dental care, but if they have less access to sugar, then sometimes you're seeing less dental decay in some of these mouths overseas. Uh, so again, anything that's got sugar, um, you know, if the mouth is, you know, you got to have three things. It's the, it's the tripod, you know, bacteria, uh, sugar, and teeth to have decay. And we, we use this. This comes from uh, Ernie Myrick, the, the, the unholy trinity here, bacteria, sugar, and time. Okay. And, um, you know, if we don't, you know, we use this as a spiritual analogy when we're teaching our students. Um, I'll usually go out, and if we've got a crowd waiting at the, at the clinic, I'll go out and address the crowd. And I'll usually do the first one or the second one, but after that, I'll let them teach and you know this is kind of the you know the sins of commission and the sins of omission okay so um, when we don't keep our mouth clean we don't brush our teeth you know the plaque accumulates that plaque's full of bacteria when we eat sugar 
you know, the bacteria in your mouth break down the sugar to make acid, and that's what's causing the loss of tooth structure. Anytime you see a loss of tooth structure, it's acid-related, okay? Either from, you know, the, the process of, you know, you know, sugar and bacteria, or if somebody has, like, GERD or, you know, anything that's, you know, bulimia, anything that's putting acid in the mouth can cause loss of tooth structure, okay? This is our analogy that we use, um, you know, that it's not only what we have done, the, you know, the, the junk we put in our mouth, it's also what we haven't done, haven't kept our mouth clean, and that's a spiritual parallel there. So, um, I'm not going to show this, well, I won't, I'm going to, I will show this video. So, this is just a video, um, obviously decay is a very long process, this is not an overnight thing, but this is kind of a, uh, an animation here that shows you what's going on, and we usually show this because a lot of people, you know, the the invisible world isn't necessarily on their minds. But, you know, you know, this is this is plaque. Obviously, this is a an analogy here, but the bacteria are breaking down the plaque to make acid. I don't know. I do have sound. I didn't think I had sound. I do have sound. Sorry. Um, and. They're breaking down, you know, the bacteria to make acid, and that's what's causing. Okay, all right. So that's really what's happening. Okay, not not quickly. This is a slow process. Obviously, this is a video, but um, you get the idea. When the teeth aren't clean, when there's sugar, that's how we're eventually getting the loss of tooth structure. Okay. So, yeah, that's again. This is a slow process. But over time, if that is un, you know, if we don't interrupt that process. You know, once that once that decay is broken through the enamel, then it has to be treated with a with a filling. Okay, we can't reverse that. Okay, so we're going to go over some basic diagnosis. Okay, and these are these are all things that anyone can do. Everything we're teaching you here today is something anybody can do. Okay, and so the patient history is and isn't helpful. Okay, you want to ask them questions, but. Um, the patient usually doesn't really know much about what's happening in their mouth, okay? But you do want to ask these questions, okay? And you want to ask them the symptoms, um, and, and then you want to observe. You want to take a look. Uh, we'll talk about, um, you know, you talk about using the Explorer to look for decay and the extent of decay and then tapping with the mirror handle, okay? So these are some good questions to ask. Okay, how long have you been having a problem? Okay, is there anything that provokes the pain is anything you know is anything if it is it waking you up at night is is does hot or cold set it off okay and then another question that sometimes we forget to ask is have you had any dental work done recently that's a good question okay most of the things you're going to see in emergency setting are from lack of treatment but there can be complications from treatment usually you're you know especially in where you know global missions health conference usually most of the problems you're seeing are from lack of treatment not from you know post-treatment so um, Ryan showed a slide. I didn't put yours in there, but sometimes somebody opens their mouth and it's like, oh, where do we start here? You know, you got a, a ocean full of root tips, okay? But anybody can tell that mouth on the top right, something's something's not right here, okay? Th- those don't look like what, right? It's, you know, Romans 1, like general revelation, hey, something's not right here, okay? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the one on the bottom, this is more subtle. This is, this is probably, this is trauma. Okay, this tooth has been traumatized. The nerve supply has been ruptured. And that's where you see that little acute apical abscess there. Not, doesn't, looks like a fairly healthy mouth. Obviously, we're just seeing a fraction of this. So we're going to talk about what you want in your um, dental diagnosis kit. Okay, you need a mirror and a mirror handle. You're not so much using the mirror side, the handle side. And then an explorer and, and, also, it can be nice to have an explorer that has a perio probe on the other side. Um, cotton forceps and cotton rolls, and we're gonna I'm gonna demo this here. Indo ice, um, if you can get it, it's like twenty dollars a can, but you can use that on multiple patients, and that's really going to help you diagnose. More important than having X-rays is having endo ice, okay? And local anesthesia supplies, we'll talk about that. You know, just two percent lidocaine with epinephrine and a fifteen blade, so you can drain, do an IND. So the Explorer, this is the, you know, the, the shepherd staff, okay, this is, um, you're going to use that to, de- to detect decay, but also determine the extent of the decay, okay, and sometimes it can be confusing for, especially for a non-dental person, okay, but hopefully you can see the difference here. On the left, you have the tooth structure has been lost, it's the same color as the one on the right, 
But tissue structure has been lost. If you put an explorer on the one on the left, it'll be sticky. Okay, it'll stick into that. Okay, it's it's and the tooth structure's been lost. There's a concavity. Okay, the one on the right, it's an addition to the tooth. Even though it's the same color, it's the calculus that's building up on the tooth. You clean that calculus off, underneath that, you'll have healthy tooth structure. Nice thing about calculus, we don't like calculus, but at least you don't get decay underneath it. So, some, if I have, if it, decay or calculus, I'll take the calculus. Okay, but the hygienist didn't hear that. So, okay. So, and then again, just, just going, reiterating this. Okay, so plaque, if it's allowed to sit on the teeth long enough, especially on the lower, you'll probably all notice that over time, the lower front teeth, especially that's where the saliva pools at night, you'll see on the back of your lower front teeth, you'll get the calculus buildup, okay? And then, you know, plaque is in the early stages, that can be brushed off, that can be flossed off. Once that hardens, you see that on the right, that's like a whole bridge of calculus. <laughs> and, uh, in the, and once you, you know, the gum tissue underneath that is probably very red and inflamed. Okay, and once you get that off, the good, the nice thing is, once you scale that calculus off, you give that about two weeks, and that gum tissue will be healthy again. Now, the bone loss is not going to be reversible, but at least the gum tissue can be healthy again. And calculus can have different colors. So here's another analogy that we use. Okay, so everybody, you know, people see that the calculus is like, oh, I need to brush more, I need to floss more. We're like, well, at that stage, it's not coming off with a brush or a floss. Okay, and this is kind of our sin. It's stuck on us. We can't get it off. Only Jesus can take the sin off of us, okay? And so, um, you know, religion is all about what I can do to make myself right before God. And, you know, we know the gospel is there's nothing you can do, and Jesus had to do it for us. So, you know, this is just kind of a visual. You know, the one on the left, you know, I can't put an explorer on that. But it looks like just staining. Okay, the, the one in the middle, that's like, that's an intrinsic stain. You're not going to be able to get rid of that. And then on the right, looks like decay. You put an explorer on that, probably will stick. Um, and, the, you know, people are kind of moving away toward the whole, like, putting an explorer on decay. But I, I, I still think that, you know, especially in, in for people who don't have a dental back, that's, that's really the way to diagnose. Okay, so we're going to talk about tooth tapping. I'm going to get a volunteer pretty soon. But I'm going to go over this first, and then we'll get a, we'll get a volunteer. So... Okay, you're going to use a mirror handle, and you're going to, you know, ask the patient, you know, have them put their finger on the tooth that hurts. You know, tell them to point to the tooth that hurts, okay? And then you're going to find, hopefully find the same tooth on the opposite side. They may not have all the teeth, okay? Try to find a similar tooth or the same tooth on the opposite side, and you're going to tap on that tooth first, and that gives you a baseline. Now, if they jump out of the chair on every tooth, then they're crazy, and you don't, you kind of take it all with a grain of salt. But normal person, tap on their tooth, it shouldn't hurt, Okay? Uh, so you're going to try to get a baseline of what's normal. You tap on the same tooth on the opposite side, then you're going to tap on the neighboring teeth to the tooth that's the problem tooth, if they have them. Okay, and then the last tooth you test is the one that they're saying bothers them. Okay, and that's your baseline. Okay, so we're looking for, a, again, a comparison to the other teeth. Okay, so cold testing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate this, okay, here in a, here in a second, but you're going to put, you know, you spray the endo ice on a cotton pellet. I usually try to fluff a cotton pellet, use a cotton forceps. You're going to hold it on typically on the, the facial side of the tooth. And, again, you're going to start on the same tooth on the opposite side, okay? And they're going to put their hand up when they feel the cold, okay? And when they, then when they feel the cold, they put their hand up, you pull the cold away from the tooth. And then you have them put their hand back down when it goes back to normal. Okay, you're not looking for how profound the response to cold is. You're looking for how long it takes the tooth to go back to normal. Okay, and so, and again, it's, you're going to do, you know, you're trying to get a baseline. Okay, the, the exception would be if the tooth had root canal therapy. It's obviously, there's no nerve tissue there. Shouldn't be any nerve tissue there if it was done right. Or if it, elderly, you know, the, the, cal- the canals become more calcified as you age, and so not always reliable for, for the older you are. I need a volunteer. Who's, we, oh, I was going to ask for the youngest person in the room, but come on up. we got a volunteer. How, how old are you? I'm 21. Okay, 21. You ever been cold tested? No. Have you had, do you have any teeth with root canal therapy? No. Okay, great. Here we go. 21. All right. So, we've got a volunteer. What's your name? Elizabeth. Where are you from? Minneapolis. Okay. Wow, then this is nothing for you, this, this uh, cold. <laughs> All right, so well, this, yeah, the cold testing for the lady from the cold, huh? Okay, so here we go. We're going to, so we're going to first, tell me, which tooth hurts? 
right molars. All right, see, this is this is this is I didn't I didn't stage this at all. This is great. You were totally rolling with this. Okay, back right molar hurts. Okay, which one? All the way back. Go ahead and open up. I guess you guys can't say. Oh, you've had ortho. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's. We got an orthodontist in the back. We got a yeah. Okay, which one? All the way back or this one? Which one? That one. This one. Okay, so this is number thirty uh, four six. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is she says four six hurts. I'm gonna find three six. Okay, I'm gonna tap. Is that okay? All right, so let's find four five. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. How about this one? You're supposed to jump out of the chair. Yeah, you're four. supposed to. You're supposed to. Okay, if you want to, you want to spray. So, so, yeah, that one hurts, right? Okay, so I don't like to use these as they are. They're kind of stiff. They're really dense, so I kind of fluff it out a little bit. Okay, well, I'm gonna do my best. Yeah, and I usually use a cotton pellet and I pull it off. So Amy's gonna spray here. Just, you make it sizzle, okay? Spray it. You're going to make it, try not, yeah. There we go. Okay, so, here we go. Open. I want you to raise your hand and you feel cold. You feel that? No? All right, let's try it. Let me fluff this out some more. I want you to stay up here. Okay, well, I should have, okay. Okay, let's fluff this out a little bit more here. Yeah, it's kind of dense here. All right, let's do that. Spray it again. Okay, we'll try that again. Open for me? Okay, so we're going to cold test. Feel that? Feel that? Here, I'm going to... Yeah, Well, yeah, I've got it. I'm not doing a very good job here. Here, let's... let's, let's. So, I'll tell you what, let's do this. I need something to... I almost need like a... I can't blame my volunteer. She's young, so there's no... Here we go. Let's. Smells like a wintery. Winter green. Winter green. Just make it, make it really sizzle. There we go. All right. My hand is sizzling too. Open. Okay. Here we go. Try that. Feel that? That's good. Feel that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Goes away. All right. Here we go. Try this. Feel that? I'm gonna have to spray it again. So a lot of times you have to spray it in between. Sorry. Well, you can tell we didn't stage this. We'd do a better job if it was staged, huh? Okay. Woo! Yeah! Woo! There we got it. All right. Hello. She's alive. All right. All right. We're going to do the back one from 4-7. Feel that? Might just spray it again. Yeah. This just keeps going. Yeah. So, so when I test 4-6, I need you to jump out of the chair and be really dramatic. Okay? So the one. Okay. Hope for me. Here we go. We're do the back one. Yeah. There's sizzle. See that? Okay, feel that? All right. Now you got to jump out of the chair because I'm doing 4-6, right? Yeah, there you go. See? All right, great. Hey, you are excellent. I, she deserves a prize. That's, that's what I was hoping for for a volunteer. Okay, so obviously the, the jumping was staged. But, okay, if they jump out when you test every tooth, again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But uh, she, okay, I, 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 I don't normally use those cotton pellets, but you got to fluff it. Get it fluffy and just really spray it, okay? Make it drip, okay? And you heard it sizzle, okay? That's what we're looking for, okay? Put it right on the tooth, and they should, you know, 21, young, healthy pulp should feel that right away, should go away right away, okay? And if it's a problematic tooth, then we're going to see something different, okay? So, great job. We need to get you a prize of some sort. So, okay, so... um, 20, okay, we, we're about half, we got, yeah, we got about half an hour, we're, we're good. Okay, so this is just kind of a, you know, obviously most of what you're going to see is decay related. Okay, most of your emergencies, okay, yes, there's trauma, yes, there's some periodontal conditions, but 90, probably 90% of what you're going to see is decay related. Okay, I don't have hard numbers on that, but anecdotally that's, that's what I see. Okay, so in stage one, we've talked about this, it's just in the enamel, okay, Enamel is not connected to the nerve tissue. There shouldn't be any sensitivity there, okay? There's, there's decay, but they're not going to know about it, okay? Stage two, it's entered the dentin, and you can see it's getting wider because the dentin is less mineralized, and the decay will spread faster. This is why you need to deal with decay early, because once it's in the, you know, this is the, this is the sin analogy that we use. James 1, evil desire gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death, okay? This is exactly what you're seeing. Okay, decay is going from the enamel, dentin, pulp, and then the pulp eventually dies. Okay, and this is a, this is a, I don't know of a better spiritual parallel than what you can get here. Okay, uh, and so we try to incorporate this in our trainings. Okay, so 
starting to spread faster because the dentin is less mineralized. Okay, so sometimes you'll see decay, and on the surface it doesn't look very big. It's just an enamel, but once you open that up, you're like, hello, whoa, what happened here? And, you know, in stage three, it's getting into the pulp, and this is what we call irreversible pulpitis. Okay, big term, it just means the pulp is inflamed. Almost every patient showing up for emergency and pain is here, but they always get diagnosed that they have an infection. Okay, and it usually is not infection. It's it's right here. It's stage three. Their their pulp is inflamed, and that's why they're in pain. Okay, and then eventually, uh, what happens is that that pulp will die, and then it goes to stage four. And then the pain stops. Okay, so what happens is they show up at the ER at stage three, in a lot of pain, and I get antibiotics. And then my pain went away. Oh, the antibiotics cured me, right? It's like this. I sprained my ankle. I drank Pepsi. My sprained ankle got better, right? Had nothing to do with the Pepsi, okay? But the problem is you try to convince the patient that this is not true. The ER physician told him it was true. Their experience told him it was true, okay? This is, this is, this is a parallel of theology, okay? So somebody's bought into a lie that makes sense to them, okay? And so what happens is, when you're worried, you're not worried about infection at stage three. You're worried about infection at stage four. Once the nerve has died, that's when the pulp is necrosed, and that can spread into a space infection. And so, what happens is the patient stops pursuing care. They're no longer in pain. They think they've been cured. They took an antibiotic for a week, and then now, we, now is when we have to worry about infection. Okay. And so, so the, this is a one-way street. The only way that this is Sometimes they can go back and forth between four and five if they don't get it treated. You know, sometimes these can wax and wane. Um, sometimes a fistula will develop, it'll drain. You know, an antibiotic will, will sometimes make it go better. And so the only time an antibiotic is going to help with pain is if it's, if it's the pressure accumulation, at, at, you know, going between four and five. But again, they don't need antibiotics, they need treatment. Okay? And so again, we've, we've, we've said these, these, um, the sin analogy here. Okay? And, you know, you know, how many people are happy and feel fine, but they still have a problem of sin, right? It doesn't really matter how they feel, okay? We're all going to stand before a holy God, and this is this, you know, again, somebody's, um, you know, that's, that's that saying, sin takes you places you never wanted to go, it keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, okay, that's, that's what's happening. You're eating that sugary stuff, it tastes good, enamel, dent, and pulp, and then you're, then later on you're in a world of hurt, okay? And um, so... These are just some terms I would encourage you not to use, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Um, the term abscess, I hardly ever hear it used correctly. So I try not to use that word because the, the A word, as we say in our clinic, okay, or the I word, okay? Try not. This is not a descriptive term. Now, there is, you use the term abscess and differentiating between a cellulitis and an abscess, but I don't like this term because it's almost always used incorrectly. Usually it means for a tooth that has pain, that they have an abscess tooth. And usually, again, that's stage three. That's not infection. That's not an abscess. Okay? Infection, again, so much gets called infection. I would say about 95% of the people that I see on antibiotics should not be on antibiotics. Okay? And that's anecdotal, but um, the studies, yeah, I mean, there, there have been some, the American Medical Association did a study of the, at least on the pre-medication side, 81% of the dental antibiotics were unnecessary. It's like four out of five, um, and that would, that would correspond with what I see on a daily basis. So uh, we're going to go through the pulpal diagnosis. Okay, this is the pulp inside the tooth, and there's also a periapical diagnosis. Okay, do you necessarily have to hammer and learn all these? No, but this is for your reference. This is kind of a manual. Okay, I, I show this picture. Okay, I was in Liberia. This is five years ago, and this guy came to our clinic. He had gone to the witch doctor, and they put herbs in the pulp of his tooth, and they put a sheet metal screw into the pulp to hold the herbs in. Not a very successful treatment. You can still see there's a fistula. Thankfully, we got to take the tooth out. One of our students took it out at the clinic. Okay, so this is what I tell people. You either you teach the right people the right way, or they're going to find the wrong person to do it the wrong way. Okay, and so um, anyway, these are our diagnoses. Okay, I've combined two of them. Um, but a normal pulp, we saw that our 21-year-old healthy mouth, post-ortho, okay, normal pulp, you saw that except the dramatic 4-6 that she did for us, okay? But that was, a good, that was a good demonstration of irreversible pulpitis. That was very good. That's maybe what it might look like, okay? Reversible pulpitis, this is, 
stage two on the diagram, okay, where it's into the dentin and the tooth might be sensitive, okay, but if we cold test that tooth, it should go back to normal quickly. It might be, might be sensitive, but it should go back to normal quickly, okay. And then necrosis, that's where the pulp has died. You know, the, again, this is a, a one-way street. Now it can go from, you know, just a necrosis to an acute apical abscess, and that can go back and forth. If, if it doesn't get treated. And then previously treated or initiated, that means somebody's either done or started root canal therapy. Not, you know, especially in the, you know, developing world context, mission's kind of not likely to see that. Okay, so periapical, this is the, this is the condition of the tooth around the tooth, the ligament space around the tooth and the bone. Okay, we have normal. We have symptomatic apical periodontitis. That's when I tap on the tooth and it hurts. Okay, we're going to go through this. And then asymptomatic apical periodontitis, you don't really need to know that this is just if on an x-ray it has a, a, a dark, you know, a periapical lesion at the x-ray, at the, at the root tip. Okay, and then we're going to talk more about the true abscess terms, chronic apical abscess and acute apical abscess. Okay, so this is stage one. Just going to keep reviewing what we've already, you know, really talked about here. Um, you know, the decay is just in the enamel. There shouldn't be any symptoms. It should respond normal to cold. It shouldn't hurt when I tap on it. We need to put a filling in this tooth. Okay, in our case, we do silver nitrate just to slow, you know, we don't teach restorative dentistry, but at least we're doing something to slow the advancement of the decay, silver diamine fluoride, silver nitrate. Okay, again, this stage might be more sensitive to cold here, but it should go away quickly. We're not into the pulp yet, okay? And then should be normal when I tap on this, okay? And, again, we're going to do restorative dentistry. We're going to do a filling to address the decay, okay? At this stage... Okay, this is typically the patient that's showing up in pain. Not always, but again, pain in the absence of any kind of swelling or any objective signs that they have infection, this is usually where they're at, okay? And you can discern this by your cold testing, okay? You're going to see that exaggerated response to cold. This is when the patient says, I can't sleep at night. I feel it throbbing, you know, the pulsating pain, okay? And then, again, with the health history, sometimes the patient will say, well, it hurt really bad for a while, and then... It started feeling better a few weeks ago. I hear that a lot. Again, it's moved from stage three to stage four in that case. Okay, so at this stage, we cannot put a filling on this. The pulp is involved. Have to do root canal therapy or we have to extract the tooth. Okay. Okay, at this stage, okay, we've, we've gone beyond the irreversible pulpitis. The pulp has died. Okay. And shouldn't have any response to cold. Okay, so they're not going to feel anything. Okay. And usually what happens here, not always, this tooth is not always going to be sensitive to tapping, but usually what's happening, the, the bacteria have moved from within the pulp chamber, where, the, where the, the, the canal, where the nerve was, they've moved into the ligament space. And, and oftentimes the ligament, the, the PDL, the periodontal ligament is inflamed, and that's why the tooth is sensitive to tapping, or the patient will say it hurts when I bite down. Okay, these teeth, again, nice thing about this, they're easier to extract. The PDL is inflamed, okay? And they need to come out. And you have to, a lot of times, have to convince patients that it needs to come out or, or, or root canal therapy if it's restorable or if that's available. Um, but you have to convince them they need to get this out because they're not in pain anymore. And sometimes they don't want the treatment, but you have to explain to them, if you don't deal with this, then it, then it can become stage five. Okay? And so, uh, again, if it doesn't hurt when I tap on it, but there's a bullet hole at the, on the x-ray, again, not really something you need to worry about because you probably won't have – Dental, dental radiography available to you where most of you are working, okay? And if it hurts when you tap on it, that's what we call symptomatic apical periodontitis, okay? So at this stage, the bacteria have eroded through the bone. Usually the path of least resistance is the, the, the facial, the cheek side bone, okay? If it has a fistula, we call it a chronic apical abscess. Fistula is not an emergency because it has a place to drink. It doesn't get antibiotics. It still needs to be treated, but that's less serious, okay? When we, ha when we don't have a place to drain, that's what we call an acute apical abscess, okay? And I'm going to show you some pictures here. And, okay, so what are we going to do here? Well, any medical provider should be able to do an IND, okay? And we're going to talk about that here. Um, you may not be able, you know, may not have access to be able to extract the tooth, but at least do an IND, okay? And, and you know, we'll talk more about that. Okay, so we'll talk more about antibiotics, but, again, um, usually even if you, as long as you drain the acute apical abscess, they as long as they're immunocompetent, they usually aren't going to need antibiotics. But it, the, the guidelines for non-dentists will tell you to put them on antibiotics, and you're, you're not wrong for that. Okay? So, again, antibiotics are always an adjunct to definitive care. And so this is a very simple acute apical abscess. This is, you know, you can see the chip on the tooth. This is trauma-related. This looks like a 
fairly healthy mouth just from the glimpse. Okay, but we've had trauma. The nerve has died. You can see that little bubble, the boil, some people call it. Okay, that's an acute apical abscess. Okay, and then, you know, you see in this other one, you see a space infection. It's a larger area involved. Um, and then on the one on the, on the right, you see you have multiple spaces involved. And this is when it's starting to get more serious. Okay, and once you start getting the submandibular space, um, that's starting to get toward the airway. Okay, and then, I mean, if it, if it really progresses, you get a Ludwig's angina where you got both sides, okay, and that's, that's, that's OR, uh, worthy, and that's, that can be fatal, okay, so, but again, the importance of dealing with problems early on when they're very easily managed, okay, um, you know, uh, Tom Bobey, um, with Samaritan's Purse, he said that in Galmi Hospital in Niger, they were having three or four OR cases a week that were dental related. You know, and if somebody could have just extracted a simple, probably a inflamed periodontal ligament tooth early on, just keep this from, you know, think about how much better that OR time could be used treating somebody who really needs that other than a dental problem that could have been addressed much, much earlier. Okay? So, okay, so, again, we've talked about this. Okay, this, this idea that if you're in pain, you must have infection. Again, if there's not any signs, objective signs, that there's, you know, swelling, um, this, again, it's usually that stage three, the inflamed pulp, and that's where your cold testing is important. Um, we'll talk about this. Okay, we talked about this. The, the after this, therefore, because of this, I took the antibiotic. The pain went away, but we really know what happened. Okay, the nerve died. Okay, it had nothing to do with the antibiotics. Okay, and so, again, we're going back here. This is the difference. Okay, one's got the inflamed pulp. This is the one that's sensitive to temperature. You know, hot. Uh, cold sensitivity, we expect if there's exposed... Denton, but if it's a lingering cold, if, you know, they drink cold water and it's still hurting five minutes later, that's not normal, okay? And then on the bottom, again, it's not going to hurt to temperature anymore because the nerve has died. Okay, so these are a lot of things that get misdiagnosed, okay? So if they're in a lot of pain, we talked about this, this is irreversible pulpitis. If it's post-recent treatment, especially extraction of a lower molar and they're in a lot of pain, Suspect dry sockets, usually in the three- to five-day window after having a lower tooth removed. Not an infection. Antibiotics aren't going to help, okay? You really need to get in there and pack the socket with uh, iodoform gauze and, and, and eugenol, okay? Or if you have something resorbable like surgifoam or gel foam, okay? So swelling within the first three days after treatment, we don't get worried about that. That's We expect, especially you take out a lower tooth, the more difficult it is, we expect some swelling. You know, limited opening, if there's been recent treatment, that doesn't, concern us, okay? But if it's, you know, I always tell the patient, if, you're, if your swelling increases after three days, you need to let me know, okay? If there's trismus not connected with recent treatment, that's, that's a sign of infection, okay? And then, again, the patient demand the self-diagnosis. Everybody, everybody's smart now. They, they don't need the doctor. They got Google. You know, they know what's wrong with them, and they're going to tell you that you need to prescribe me antibiotics, okay? And then anesthetic failure, okay? This is as providers, you know, I have all kinds of people that I can't get numb, but it's not because of infection, okay? And so we just have to be honest as providers. You know, it's easy to want something to blame, like, oh, well, you must be infected. I couldn't get you numb, you know? So, um, again, it's our, it's our responsibility to do our best to get patients numb, okay? So this is what we're looking for, objective signs, okay, not symptoms. Okay, so if there's pus, okay, and then trismus, again, not related to recent treatment, Fever, okay, the younger the patient is, the more reliable that they're going to have a fever, okay, and then just malaise, just overall not feeling well. If you're in a medical setting, you have access to a CBC, you know, get it, okay. If you got it, you know, available to you. Okay, so there's just a lot of things, too. I see patients who've just been bounced around uh, where I live. They've been to the hospital. They've been to other clinics. The stuff that patients get told, it's, it's unbelievable to me in 2022, some of the stuff that happens, okay. So, again, Patient gets told, well, the antibiotic is going to cure your problem. Okay, again, you went from three to four. It didn't cure anything. Okay, your nerve died. Okay, uh, and then this, this, this old, you know, this, this myth that you can't give anesthetic in the presence of infection that you'll cause it to spread or that the anesthetic won't, won't work in the, you know, in the presence of infection. Okay, we're going to talk about that because that's kind of a, a hot topic, but really the research in the last 15 years is really eroding this age-old belief. Okay. And then, again, that, that treatment in the presence of infection will cause it to spread. That's really not true. It's quite the opposite. Getting rid of the problem is going to resolve the problem. Okay, so I love this quote. This is from really the Hup Ellison Tucker. This is a very authoritative uh, oral surgery book, kind of the standard of uh, 
undergraduate dental education, okay? Again, you treat infection to perform surgery and remove the source, okay? It says the surgeon must drain it if there's an abscess or cellulitis. And he said failure to do so may result in worsening the infection, failure of it to resolve, even if antibiotics are given, okay? So this is, again, it says a course of antibiotics does not reliably prevent the worsening of an infection, Okay, especially oral antibiotics and their limited ability to penetrate. You've got decreased blood supply to the area because of infection. Um, okay, and this is, you know, especially oral antibiotics, they don't penetrate biofilms well. You've got this biofilm formation. Okay, and again, we have to drain this. Okay, that's, that's how you treat infection. Okay, and so there's this belief that we can't inject into, you know, in this, well, usually, you know, what, what they say here, you, you don't, it's painful to inject into swelling, so we just inject on the other side of it, but it's not going to cause the infection to spread. Okay, and this is a study from 2007 really kind of undermining this study from 1936 that everybody quotes about you can't, you can't, you can't get, anesthetic won't work in, the, in an acidic environment, and they're really kind of challenging this. Um, and so, look, g- give the anesthetic on either side, okay, and, and, what the tooth that you historically cannot get numb is a lower molar at stage three, okay? And what the what the a lot of people attribute that falsely attribute that to infection. What they're saying is, um, you know, that this this theory that the the presence of infection, the pH, uh, it's it's a lowered pH, is it's an acidic environment. But it's in a lower tooth, you're not injecting the anesthetic where the infection is. Okay, and they're really they're, they're just questioning this theory that we've believed for so long because you're injecting at the ramus, and the infection is at the apex of the tooth, and so it's really challenging this, and so, you know, there's a study in 2007 that they were anesthetics are working in the presence of you know an acidic environment, and so you might have to you know I will say here it doesn't necessarily matter why you can't get the patient numb, you know you might have to give more anesthetic, but a lot of times people are just giving up too soon, you know you can give an adult you can give like. 10 cartridges of anesthetic. Most of the time people say, oh, I couldn't get them done. Well, they use three or four cartridges. You know, sometimes you have to use supplemental anesthetic um, for whatever reason. You know, not going to really worry too much about the theory of what's happening behind that. But, again, you need to get them, you know, sometimes even if you can't get them 100% numb, get them comfortable enough where they can get the procedure done, get the tooth out, okay? And, and that's what's going to speed up the healing, okay? He says here, Extraction of the tooth in presence of infection does not promote the spread of the infection. It's the opposite, okay? And you don't need to wait, you know, take, I, I hear this all the time in my community. Oh, we need to be on antibiotics for a week. You know, please, don't believe that. Don't tell patients that. If you find dentists in your community that believe that, send them somewhere else, okay? They need definitive treatment. There's no reason to delay, okay? These are all rooted in really just outdated beliefs. So, Okay, so even if you can't get the tooth out, okay, especially, you know, I'm not expecting medical providers to be extracting teeth, but do an IND. Anybody can do this, okay? I'm going to go back here. Um, let's get, get there. Well, it's, it's, on, it's ahead in the next. So we're going to talk about an IND here. And, you know, anybody can do this, okay? There's, there's several reasons to do this. Okay, we, we're draining this. Okay, if there's pus accumulated, these patients feel instantly better because it's that pressure accumulation. Okay, you're draining that. Okay, and you're decreasing the bacterial load to the area. You're decompressing all that pressure. It improves the blood supply to the area. So if, if you do need them on antibiotics, it's going to work better. Okay, and it's going to keep it from spreading to a larger space. You don't want a buccal space infection. That's, that's a little more mild. You don't want that to become a multiple space infection. Okay, and so even if you don't get pus, okay, this is an anaerobic environment. You're exposing it to oxygen. You're changing the bacterial flora of the environment, okay? So it's important that you do the IND even if you don't get drainage, okay? I hear all kinds of excuses not to treat people, you know, high blood pressure, HIV, you know, all kinds of stuff, okay? Antithrombotic therapy, you don't take people off of antithrombotics. Ten minutes. Oh, man, ten minutes. I better keep, yeah, that's right. I better keep moving here. Okay, don't take people off antithrombotics, okay? If a dentist asks you to do that, push back, okay? They're on those drugs for a reason. There's never a need to take people off antithrombotics to do dental care. Nothing you do in dentistry is invasive enough to warrant that, okay? The only exception is if they're on Coumadin. You need to know their INR. You don't take them off the Coumadin. You need an INR within three days. It needs to be, you know, ideally two and a half or below. But never take somebody off antithrombotics to do dental care. It's not necessary, 
And, you know, these people are on these drugs for a reason. It's much better to get the phone call that they're having bleeding that they, than they had a stroke. Okay? We can deal with bleeding. Okay? Bleeding is, you know, we can deal with bleeding. Okay? HIV, most of these patients can be treated fine. Hypertension, you know, there was an article in the Journal of the American Dental Association two years ago. 180 over 110 is what they said, but they said that they even admitted there was no real scientific basis behind that. That's just what they recommended. Um, and pregnancy, we'll talk about this, okay? Um, a lot of people don't want to treat pregnant patients. I realize this is a litigious society, but they're, again, if, if mama ain't happy, baby ain't happy either, okay? I had a lady, ER physician called me. The lady was dehydrated. She's in the ER. He said, this lady's not eating because of her tooth, okay? We took the tooth out. Again, you got you to gotta do treatment, okay? And, and all these things that we've said, you know, ideally, yes, second trimester, but you can treat any stage of pregnancy if you need to. If it's an emergency, if there's pain or infection, you just need to deal with it. You need to get, 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 get the problem removed, okay? You know, amoxicillin or clindamycin are safe. Okay, lidocaine, you know, and please, if you're a medical provider, please don't say no epinephrine, okay? I think everybody thinks we're giving them EpiPen or something, okay? We're giving 1 to 100,000. Anesthetic just works better. It's safer with the epinephrine, okay? I, I see this in my area. People are telling us not to use epinephrine. But, again, the, the lidocaine, we've been using it for 70 years. We know it's safe, and, and we really want that epinephrine because it works better, and it slows the rate of resorption back in the bloodstream, okay? You can do imaging. Again, you know, our digital panel machine in our office is 14 microsieverts, like a day, and, a day and a half in the sun. I mean, if you flew on a plane here, you're probably getting more radiation exposure from flying on a plane. So a lot of this stuff, you know, modern digital radiography, there's no reason why you can't do that. Okay, so if you have dental carpules, um, they're nice, um, but they're expensive. And usually on the medical side, using bulk lidocaine, which is fine. Some of the supplemental dental injections are nice if you have a metal syringe. Um, and, you know, you can, make, you can mix your own epinephrine. Usually when I travel overseas, I can't find it pre-mixed, but we'll mix it ourselves. You buy the 1 to 1,000 glass ampules, make sure it's 1 to 1,000, and then you just add you know, if it's a 20-milliliter vial, you add 0.2 milliliters of the 1 to 1,000, you know, and, and, and vice, you know, on, on and on here. Depending on the size of your vial, that's how much you add. Shake it. Make sure you mark it right away so you don't add it again, okay? But you can make your own uh, 1 to 100,000. Again, a lot of people giving up too soon. An adult, you can give quite a bit of anesthetic, okay? And, okay, I'm not going to go over this is how to give. These are more like how to take out teeth. This will be in your it's reference for you. Okay, so again, we're going to talk about. Um, I got to keep moving here, don't I? I got 10, 13 slides in eight minutes. Okay. Um, okay, we're going to identify the tooth. We talked about that. We're going to give an anesthetic. We're going to give probably on either side of the swelling, and then we're going to take a 15 blade and we're going to puncture down to the depth of the bone. The only place I don't do this is in the lower premolar area. So the four and five area on the bottom. That's where the mental uh, foramen, the mental nerve exits the jaw. I don't want to do that there. I don't want to go all the way to the depth of the bone. I want to be careful there. I can maybe just do like a needle aspiration, um, but I just want to be careful. Most of the time, the swelling is going to be on the cheek side. That's usually the path of least resistance. Not always. Sometimes on the palate, but those are pretty rare. Okay, you're just going to push on the area. You're going to drain it. You can take saline. You can flush it. Um, I'm usually extracting the tooth, but if you're not you know, a dental provider, then you can just uh, put, a, put a Penrose drain, and they need to get, they need to get treatment. Okay, and if it's, you know, if it's a tooth you're keeping, root canal therapy, if it's a tooth that's going to be extracted, it needs to come out, and then we'll talk more about when, when to give antibiotics. This is from Ryan. Okay, so you can see this. This is probably trauma-related. Okay, you've got that little cutabical abscess at the apex. You're going to take a, a blade, open it up. They're going to blunt dissection. Okay, I don't usually use Penrose drains because I'm usually extracting the tooth, and I have the extraction site as my, my drain. Okay, but you can just cut a finger off a glove. You can do a silk suture and just tie that in. It just gives it a place, keeps it open for a while. They usually don't last very long. I don't usually, I mean, usually bring them back, but they usually not, they don't stay in very long. Okay, so, again, acute apical abscess, you're just going to do the IND. You really probably don't need antibiotics. If they're immunocompromised, you can do that. Um, if it's a space infection, again, you want to try and do an IND. You know, medical side, you might consider an extra oral IND, depending on the severity. Okay, um, but, again, amoxicillin 500 three times a day, and then, again, I'm going to show you this, this algorithm here. Okay, if it's a multiple space infection, you probably you want to, you want to have a, 
a more wider coverage. Make sure you got anaerobic coverage so you can do you could do like augmentin. I I probably would just recommend just amoxicillin and metronidazole um, together. This is the ADA algorithm that was published uh, three years ago. Um, sadly, not very often followed, but uh, this is for medical providers. There's a different one for dental providers. But, again, you see on the left side, if there's only pain, it doesn't get antibiotics, okay, because, again, it's not, it's not infection, okay, and that's where your cold testing, okay, if there, if there is pain and swelling, not the patient feels like they're swollen, it's observable pain and swelling. Um, if it's that acute apical abscess on the non-dental side, you're, you're going to put them on antibiotics, okay, and this is the, you know, like we said, amoxicillin, uh, 500, and then I, I like amoxicillin just because the compliance is better. Penicillin is four times a day is a lot lower compliance than three times a day. Okay, and you can even do amoxicillin 875, which is twice a day. That's even better compliance. Okay, you know if the first line treatment fails, you can if treatment fails, you can add metronidazole. But if it fails, it's probably because the source of infection has not been removed, not because the antibiotic is not working. Okay, so these are the alternatives. Really, kind of moving away from clindamycin. Okay, if they're allergic, um, you know, you can do uh, cephalexin and, or azithromycin. So, okay, so when are we going to do it? And adjunctive, again, adjunctive, the importance of antibiotics in conjunction with definitive care. Okay, if they've got systemic signs of infection, we're going to give antibiotics. If they're medically compromised on acute apical abscess, anytime we're reimplanting something, any kind of foreign body that's going back in, okay, and then or if we've got uh, something that's rapidly progressing, you know, osteomyelitis would be post-treatment typically. So this is an avulsed tooth. It doesn't really matter if it's a closed or open apex. You're going to give, if they're less than uh, 12, you're going to give amoxicillin for seven days. And then if they're older, uh, you can give doxycycline. Worry about tetracycline staining on the teeth if the teeth are still developing. Okay, so anytime it's beyond the, you know, again, we saw the space infection, the buccal space, or beyond, or in any space, that's when you're going to use antibiotics. Okay, if it's trismus not in conjunction with recent treatment, <coughs> sorry, if they have systemic signs of infection, if they've got a fever, so that's when you're going to give antibiotics. Okay, again, these are when you don't, again, if it's irreversible pulpitis, that's the stage three. If it's just a simple pulp where the, the tooth where the pulp has died, Okay, if it's just a radiolucency on x-ray, that doesn't get antibiotics. If it's got a sinus tract to drain, doesn't need that. <coughs> so, um, sorry. Downstairs, um, I'll, I'll show you this slide next. But, again, the patient doesn't decide when they get antibiotics. Okay? We have to get modern parenting is we appease our kids. We do whatever they tell us to make us happy. That's how a lot of patients come into the clinic. You're going to give me antibiotics. Okay? You have to stand up. It's your DEA number. Okay, just because they ask for it doesn't mean they get it. Okay, we've got to be healthcare professionals, not providers. Okay, so again, severe pain, we talked about that. That's irreversible pulpitis. Periapical abscess that's just, you know, limited to the, the local area. Dry socket, that gets treated, that doesn't get antibiotics. Okay, and really, if you can drain the abscess, you know, you usually don't need antibiotics. Okay, there is a course. If you're interested, if you're looking for more, uh, there is a course. There, their booth, uh, this is equipped. They're in Marion, North Carolina. It's in the Asheville area. And uh, their booth is uh, 1404, and they have a course, and I, these are the dates. I'm hoping that they move. They, normally the dental is at the end, but they have one day of dental, and I'm hoping they'll move it to Monday so that um, the people that maybe myself and uh, Bill Griffin can, can come teach because it's the same, unfortunately, the same week as the CMDA National Convention. But if you're interested, it's, it's a good course because it talks about tropical medicine stuff you're not likely to see in the United States. It's four days of tropical medicine and then one day of dental. Yes, sorry, not just for nurse practitioners, you know, uh, physician assistants, uh, people that are doing mission work. Um, you know, if you're in an area and you're seeing repeated dental needs, the solution is not, you, you heard Florence Mawindi, the solution is not sending an American dentist one week a year and we try to get all these dental needs packed into one week. Okay, these stuff, this stuff comes up on a regular basis, needs to be dealt with in a timely manner. So uh, I work at iTech. We do dental training in developing countries. Uh, Empower Approach is downstairs. They're in that little... Bonus off to the side. Uh, used to volunteer with them. I work at iTech now. But um, a lot of these things can be addressed very simply early on. Okay? It's when they get you know, prolonged, and that's when we're talking about OR um, cases. So 
Anyway, I appreciate your attention today. Thanks for braving the, the weather and uh, 8 a.m. on Saturday. So uh, if you got any questions, uh, that's my email address. I'm happy to send you the slideshow. Uh, I'm gonna, it's got it slightly edited from the one that you can download on the website. Uh, but if you have any questions, if I can be of any resource to you, uh, that's my email address. And uh, I'll be here for if you have questions you want to talk. So thank you. <clears throat>